Welcome to the sermon podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. Are you ready? The, the question really is, what, what are you ready for? I mean, the answer would be Jesus, right? We're, we're ready for Jesus. But, but what exactly is Jesus planning to do this year? What, what exactly are we ready for? Anybody in here like mysteries? Like mystery novels, TV shows, movies, some of us, yes. I love them. I love anything that has to do with puzzles and thinking and figuring things out. I love mysteries. And uh, when Amy and I were dating, this was many years ago, we were, we were dating and I, um, I, I was living in this apartment at this time and we were going to go on a date and I wanted to surprise her with this date. But I, I lived here and we just had to get to here and Amy has no sense of direction. And so I wanted to surprise her to get from this distance to here. And so what I did is I just drove in a really big circle around so that we could end up here and she was completely lost, had no idea where we were going. And we showed up at this Coco's. So you're familiar with Coco's, like the, the restaurant Coco's? And she goes, why are we at a Coco's? And the Coco's had rented off the back room to a mystery dinner, one of those murder mystery dinners, which we've done and we love. And so we sat down for these murder mystery meals. And has anybody ever done them? Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you, you, you kind of, you sit down and the, the actors of this murder mystery, they serve you dinner. And so you get usually a full three to five course meal. And then they put on this whole thing with several different scenes. And you try to figure out who killed whoever it was. We've done a clue one. This one happened to be like it was in Halloween time. So it was a monsters like Transylvania time. And of course, I don't know why it's always me, but I always get picked to do the random thing. So I got picked to do this dance off. And I should have won. Um, but I did not win, but I had to go up in front of everybody and do this dance-off. But I love mysteries. I love puzzles. And there is a mystery found in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. It says in Ephesians 1.9 that God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed or proposed in Christ. So then... If God made known the mystery to us, that means you all know the mystery, right? It says that God has revealed that mystery to us. So the question is, what is that mystery if it has been revealed to us? Let me read the whole passage here that this comes from, starting in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his 
blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were first, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance unto the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory." There's a lot packed in to that passage. It talks about God's choosing and predestin- predestining us. It talks about Jesus and his redemption that we have through his blood. It talks about that mystery. It talks about God's will. It tells us that we have been marked with a seal and given the Holy Spirit as a deposit. But the question is, what does all of this mean? What exactly is the mystery that's found in this? And and a moment ago, we read from John's gospel, John chapter one, about how Jesus became flesh. This is a mystery that we talked about last week about how it's possible that God could become flesh. Jesus, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. God loved us enough to become one of us. But there is more to this mystery that Paul is talking about here. He he starts off with this idea of predestination, verses 5 and 11. 5 says, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined. This word predestined comes up so much in this passage. And the question is, what does that mean? What does it mean for us to be predestined? And if you're not already familiar with this, there's a little bit of a debate and you know how much I love debates and, and these hard things to, to wrestle with. There's a debate about predestination. There are two primary sides to this debate. The first side comes from John Calvin. If you're familiar with the Baptist denomination, this is where they get most of their, their theology from. The first side of the debate from John Calvin is, is this is what he wrote. I, I found what he wrote about this. It says, by predestination, we mean the eternal decree of God by which he determined with himself whatever he wished to happen with regard to every man. All are not created on equal terms. Some are preordained to eternal life and others to eternal damnation. And accordingly, as each has been created for one or other of those ends, we say that he has been predestined to either life or death. In other words, God has predestined everything. He has laid out a plan for our entire lives. Everything is laid out for us step by step. God has already decided who will go to heaven and who will go to hell. Or rather, God has already decided who will accept Jesus and who will reject 
Jesus. That is the first side of this debate. The second side of this debate comes from James Arminius, which is where we as Nazarenes align with in our beliefs. And here's what he wrote. God decreed to save and damn certain particular persons. This decree has its foundation in the foreknowledge of God by which he knew from all eternity those individuals who would, through his prevenient grace, believe and through his subsequent grace would persevere and by which foreknowledge he likewise knew those who would not believe and persevere. In other words, God has predestined us, given us the ability and free will to choose and accept him, to choose Jesus. We have the ability to respond to God or not. God has not decided for us if we go to heaven or hell, but rather given us the free will to choose. However, God knows what choice we will make. And so he has predestined, he has that foreknowledge, he knows what choice we will make, but he has not chosen it for us. And again, we as Nazarenes align with this belief, which also provides us with a certain way to a view traumatic things that happen. Whenever there's tragedy or evil in the world, this belief allows us to say God did not preordain or or plan that evil thing to happen, but rather we know that God gives us free will and humans can choose to do bad things. And sometimes bad things happen because we have free will. However, both of these sides of the debate have to be kind of, you have to kind of fill in some gaps that the Bible doesn't give us. That's why these two sides of the debate can continue and neither one is necessarily right and neither one is necessarily wrong because as I always say, the Bible does not exist to answer all of our questions. It does exist to answer some questions, but it does not exist to answer all questions. And this is one of the things that the Bible is not specifically clear on on purpose. So that is why these two sides of the debate can exist even still today, and we can argue and fight about it all we want to. But the truth is that especially in this Ephesians passage and elsewhere in the New Testament, the idea of predestination seems to focus on something else which includes this mystery of of, of Christ and what that means. So focusing on this passage that we read, there are a few important things that I want to point out. First, found in verses 4 and 5, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure, pleasure and will. This, if you read it, keep it up on the screen for a moment. If you read this, this is not saying that God predestined and chose us. What this is saying is that God chose Jesus as the elect one, as the chosen one, not us as believers. It says he chose us in him and he predestined us through Jesus Christ. We are chosen and predestined, but it is only through Jesus that we are chosen and predestined. 
Did you catch that small detail there in how it's, it's worded? God chose Jesus before the creation of the world. We read a moment ago in John's gospel that Jesus, the word, the word was in the beginning. The word was God. The word is God. It was through Jesus that everything was created. God chose Jesus before the beginning of the world to be the source or, or the way that we would all receive sonship, that we would all be adopted. Second, when Paul says the word us, he does not mean us as individuals. He, he means us as a whole, us as the church, meaning that God chose the church to be holy and blameless and adopted in and through Jesus, whom he chose first. As, as humans, we often get this part of the mystery wrong. We start to think about predestination in terms of us as individuals. Did God already choose for my life to go to heaven or hell? If he did, then, then what is the point of doing anything? Why don't I just continue to go on sinning? Because in the end, I'm going to go to heaven anyway, which Paul refutes pretty hard in the book of Romans. If, if that's our focus, then we start to get this messed up. However, this mystery of predestination, especially here in Ephesians, is actually focused on the purpose. The predestination is focused on, on the purpose, not on exactly what is happening, but on what will happen. And when begin, we begin to see the purpose, we begin to understand the mystery. And here's what we see. First, the purpose that God chose us is so that we would live a certain quality of life. Verse 4 says, For he chose us in him, him being Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We were chosen to be holy and blameless as the church. To be holy means to be genuine, authentic, to be real. To be blameless means that we have been forgiven of our sins. And this is only possible because of God's transforming work that was done through Jesus on the cross. And Paul does not say that, that he chose us before the foundation of, of the earth because we are holy and blameless. Let me say that again. Paul says... That God did not choose us because we are already holy and blameless. God chose us first because we will eventually become holy and blameless. And that should be really encouraging to us because we have the ability to receive the grace of God, the gift of Jesus Christ, before we are perfect. Because we will become perfect. We will become holy and blameless because of Jesus. This first purpose here is that we were chosen as a people, as a church through Jesus Christ to become holy and blameless all because of Jesus. Second, that the purpose is that we would praise and honor God. Verses 5 and 6, he predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. We were adopted 
and chosen through Jesus Christ so that we would praise and glorify his name. But I want to be really careful here. God did not recruit people to worship him. This is not about God trying to satisfy his ego to make himself feel good to have these servants that will worship and praise his name. What God wants, what God desires, what God seeks is a, a spontaneous response of gratitude, of, of thanksgiving, of worship from people that find fulfillment in his grace. God wants us to be satisfied through his grace and respond to that satisfaction with honor and praise. Think of it like, like a way of living. Because we are so satisfied with the grace of God, we respond with love and thanksgiving in all things. Because we are so satisfied, we show love to those around us. Because we are so satisfied, we give thanks to God in all things. It's a way of life. And this way of life is worship. And that is what God desires. So let me put all of this together. God's predestined plan begins with Jesus, who was the Word, and the Word was God and is God, was in the beginning, everything was created through Him. Jesus was chosen to bring salvation to everyone, and we, the church, were chosen to be the recipients of that saving grace. But we still have a choice to choose if we want to receive it or not, if we want to experience that, that satisfied fulfillment of his grace or not. And all of this was done for the purpose of us as the church, not us individually, but us as the church to become holy and blameless, to become fully satisfied by his grace. Let me say that again. God's predestined plan began with Jesus. He predecided that Jesus was going to exist and that through him we would all be chosen to receive that grace. But he still gives us free will to choose if we want to respond or not. And he chose all of this so that we would become holy and blameless and satisfied. And the point of all of this, if you haven't heard me say it enough, is Jesus. The point of all of this is Jesus, the mystery of what God is doing. The answer to that mystery is Jesus. Jesus is what God did. Jesus is what God is doing. The reason that we celebrate Christmas, the reason that we continue the Christmas season until this last Sunday, is to celebrate the birth of Christ. But the reason that we celebrate the birth of Christ is because we celebrate the death of Christ. It's found in, in the mystery of his birth, of his life, and of his death. So to celebrate Christmas means that we celebrate Jesus the Messiah and the mystery found in his birth from a virgin, in his life both as man and God, however confusing that may be, and we celebrate the mystery found in his sacrifice on the cross that won the war and made it possible for us to receive the free gift of grace. 
all for the purpose that we would be restored, that we would be reconciled to God. This is the predestined plan from God. God predestined each and every one of us to be restored through Jesus and for us to have the ability to freely choose to receive that grace or not. Think of it like driving a car. You have the free will to choose if you want to fill that car up with gas or not. When the car is all the way filled up, you get to go as far as you can. If the gas tank is empty, you will not make it very far. You will not be satisfied. Nobody will tell you to fill up your car with gas, but it kind of makes sense that you would want to fill your car up with gas if you want to go anywhere. But I'm not going to force you to fill up your car with gas if you want to try to drive. You may end up walking. Life may be harder for you if you don't fill up with gas. In the same way, God says, I'm not going to tell you whether or not to fill up your life with my grace. I'm going to let you choose. But I'm telling you that life will be easier. You will be more full. You will be more satisfied if you fill yourself up with my grace. But if you want to run on empty, that is your choice. I will not choose you. So the question then is, if if that is the answer to this solved mystery, if Jesus is the answer to this, this mystery, what is it that we do with this answer? Why does Paul write about this? What is the purpose of knowing this? And the answer is found in verses 11 and 14 through 14. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. When we understand the mystery, this is what we do. First, we put our hope in Jesus. Second, we trust in God's plan. We trust in God's will. Third, we respond to God with praise and worship, with a life of thanksgiving, of being full and satisfied. And fourth, we experience and live into the the deposit of the Holy Spirit. We are given a glimpse of what the kingdom of God is like because we get a glimpse of the Holy Spirit in our life. This is just a foretaste, a taste that we get to experience that God gives us. The Holy Spirit is the third person of God whom is alive and active in the world today. And all of this comes back to Jesus first and ends with the will of God. So let me say this all together. When we place our hope in Jesus, we receive the deposit, the free gift of the Holy Spirit to be able to live out God's will. And God's will is that we would place our hope in Jesus Christ, that we would believe in him, that we would receive his spirit And live out God's will for our lives to be holy and blameless as the church together. In other words, God's will is that we would all be and share the gospel. 
that we would all place our hope in Jesus, that we would all become restored and transformed, that we would all become holy and blameless so that we can respond in love by being Jesus, by being the gospel and sharing the gospel, sharing Jesus with everyone. As we look ahead into this new year, the question is, are you ready to live within God's will? Are you ready to be the gospel, to be Jesus? Are you ready to share the gospel? It all begins with first putting our trust in Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit work through us in the world around us. One of the ways that we do that is, is through certain liturgies. And, and I know I don't use that word often, but, but liturgy basically means a way of, of worshiping or celebrating. It's, it's a type of ritual. Think of how the world two nights ago had a liturgy to celebrate New Year's Eve by staying up until midnight. A lot of people watch the ball drop. Fireworks go off. We have sparklers and poppers. That is a a liturgy, a ritual, something that we all do or many people do to bring in the new year. It's a ceremony in a way. And in the same way, the church has many liturgies, many ceremonies and rituals that we do to experience certain things. One of those is that we receive communion which is what we as a local church here do on the first Sunday of every month. We receive communion. And communion is done to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. But it's, it's also to participate in the grace of God. It, it's to receive and experience God's sustaining and fulfilling grace. And, I, and I, I say this every time, but I love the, the idea, the imagery found in, in thinking about how we all exist. We, we all, as a local church here, we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different things going on in our lives. We all have different amounts of money. We have different amounts of, of power, social status, social status. We come from different places, but we all enter to this place together where all of our status is removed, all of our backgrounds are removed, we come and enter this place as one body where we receive communion, we receive the bread and the juice to celebrate what Jesus did, but also to experience the grace of God, to be filled up with his grace so that we can, as one body, be sent out into the world to be and share the gospel. And when we receive communion, We remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered all of his disciples together, including the one he knew who would betray him, the one who had free will to choose what he would do. He gathered them all together. And after eating, he he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and after giving thanks, he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Drink in remembrance of me. 
Father, we remember what you did through your son, Jesus Christ. We receive the bread and the cup this morning to symbolize your your presence and your grace that is around us and within us. Father, may you fill us up this morning. May you send us out to do your will, to be holy and blameless in your sight, to be and share the gospel. Would you reveal that mystery to us on a daily basis? Would you reveal your will to us for this year ahead? May we as one body, as a church, do everything that we can to follow after you. Remove our selfish desires and fill it with your grace. Father, we pray in your name. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at rnazchurch or our website, rnaz.church.